All right, let's take our Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter number 11 this morning. And so we are going to uh, just be beginning a new series this morning. And so for the next five weeks, counting today, we'll be uh, considering the prospect of what it, what it means to be overwhelmed and how to cope with that. I don't know um, if anybody could honestly say uh, that they're never overwhelmed or that they've never been overwhelmed. For example, uh, I was extremely overwhelmed this morning whenever I looked into my wife's class and Miss Sandra was here. Uh, and so it was, uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, in all seriousness, life, life at times is overwhelming. Uh, it's emotionally and spiritually overwhelming. Things can physically overwhelm us. And so uh, I think that over these next weeks as we look at some Old Testament characters in particular... Uh, that will see some things in their life that overwhelm them and see the victory that they found in Christ Jesus to get through it. Uh, and I would say this morning, I'm, I'm going to start with a solution. Uh, I don't want to, uh, it's the kind of thing that if, if we can get some, some freedom from being overwhelmed, uh, I don't want to keep everybody, okay, uh, be overwhelmed for the next month, and then after that I'll give you the solution to the problem. Uh, and so we're going to start this morning uh, kind of at the end and look at a solution and, and look at how, uh, if you're feeling overwhelmed. And if you're not feeling overwhelmed today, you, you may be tomorrow. Uh, and all it takes, really, uh, go to work tomorrow and find out that you've been laid off or that you've, uh, some circumstances changed in your life. Uh, you know, students go to school and they find out that that test that they took on Friday that they thought that they did really well on, they failed. Uh, and so now they're all wondering if it was me that failed. I haven't looked at any test scores. Uh, and so, you know, if we look and go through life, you make a doctor's appointment tomorrow that's supposed to be routine and it's anything but routine. You get bad news and uh, you have to deal with those types of things. All those things in life are overwhelming. And we all have to deal with overwhelming circumstances in our life. Uh, there's no avoiding it. There's no getting past it. It's just a part of uh, living on a sin-cursed earth. And so uh, when we're overwhelmed, what I want to touch on over these next several weeks is that we, when we come to a place where we uh, allow God to overwhelm those things which overwhelm us, uh, that God working in our lives can overwhelm those things in our lives that are overwhelming. And so uh, we're going to look at some of those, those things. And so uh, we are going to look here at Hebrews chapter number 8 and verses, or verse, I'm, just, I'm sorry, chapter 11, uh, beginning in verse 1. And then we're going to skip to verse 8 down through verse number 19 uh, as we start this morning with Abraham. But I'm going to introduce some more of the series here. Uh, but we're going to read our text and then we'll uh, pray and, and move along with the message this morning. Uh, but in verse number one, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In verse number eight, he says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he stood after, received for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one, uh, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars in the sky of multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. 
For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they had came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country that is in heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, uh, from whence also he received him in a figure. And I want to speak to you this morning on the thought and overwhelming faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together again. Lord, thank you for the promise that when we gather together in your name that you're here with us. Lord Jesus, we certainly need you. We need to be mindful of you and aware of your presence. Lord, may our hearts be open. May we lay aside the burdens and the distractions of the world. May we lay aside that which overwhelms us and focus on you. Lord, I pray that you give us what we need this morning. Give us strength. Lord, increase our faith. And Lord, help us all to draw closer to you, to live uh, more in your image. In Jesus' name and amen. Uh, so when we look here this morning, we consider this the thought of being overwhelmed. And uh, to do that, I have to start really by de defining the term. There are a lot of words that, uh, that we use and that we, that we have some understanding of, but so often uh, we lack depth or the depth of the meaning of the words. And so to be overwhelmed by definition is to be uh, overspread or crushed beneath something violent and weighty. Uh, and so when we talk about uh, overspreading or being crushed beneath something, uh, there's a violence there. It's something that is, uh, and, and actually the dictionary gives us an example uh, that, that covers, uh, it encompasses a whole uh, as to overwhelm with waves. So it's to be completely enveloped by uh, and to tossed as in by waves. And if you go uh, to the beach or if you've ever, most of us here, we live close enough that I, most of us would be surprised if no one's ever been to the beach. Uh, but when you go to the beach here in South Texas, when you go, uh, you can go out a long way before you really get into any depth of water. I mean, you, you can hit some pockets here and there uh, where, where the sand dips a little bit and, you're, uh, and the water doesn't seem as deep. And then I, I've been to places down there where I've been out and been in one moment in knee deep water and the next moment standing in the same exact place in neck deep water, depending on the size of a swell that's coming in. Uh, and go out and you can go out a long ways and sometimes places you can go out a couple of hundred yards before uh, w before you really get any depth of water uh, and even then if it's something that comes in that's a little bit heavier something that's a little bit larger it can push you back on your feet it can it can kind of move you a little bit uh, when there's storms coming in then you see there's all of the the warnings of the riptides and currents and things of that nature when you go to other places in the world where they have uh, a real, a real beach. <laughs> Say, uh, offend our, uh, be offended of our, of our beaches. But I'm playing where the water's pretty, and uh, and the the real reason is because it just gets deeper quicker. Um, and I'm standing out there, and I'm kind of always looking. Well, where's the water line? You can see where the water gets deep and pretty here. We just never go out that far. Uh, I've been in when we go to Puerto Rico and, and visit my wife's family and uh, places where she grew up there's, there's places there where if you're not in a protected uh, bay or a cove uh, where you step out and 
uh, you know, here I can go out a couple of hundred yards, there I go about 10 yards and I'm in neck deep water and one more step and I don't know how far over my head I'm going to be. Uh, it could vary greatly. Uh, and it's open Atlantic Ocean. And so uh, on the northern coast there, uh, there's a, a stark difference and it doesn't take long to get into water that's really overwhelming. The thing is when you get in water like that and then a large wave comes, it can pick you up and toss you. Uh, and so it, it doesn't matter how big we are, how heavy we are, uh, uh, if you're in deep enough water, it will completely envelop you and it will toss you aside wherever it wants to toss you. It can drag you out, it can knock you down, uh, it, can, it can drown, uh, and so it, it can overwhelm. And that's really the picture that overwhelmed gives. And so we want to take and look at this thought and this feeling of being emotionally or spiritually overwhelmed uh, by something that just so, over, that so overcomes me that I'm completely absorbed with it. It's completely surrounded me and it's even got the ability to move me. Uh, where from, from my comfort zone or from my, my confidence, my faith in, uh, in God even at times if I am focused on the problem instead of on the solution. And so uh, again, it's to be overspread or crushed beneath something that's violent and weighty uh, that covers or encompasses the whole. Uh, it also means to bury or drown beneath uh, a huge mass and you could stop and you could think about someone that's out in the mountains in the winter uh, and an avalanche comes and a big uh, mountain of that snow comes and falls over them uh, and it completely overwhelms them and it crushes them uh, and they suffocate in the snow. Uh, there are a lot of people every year that die because they got caught under the snow in an avalanche and they uh, could not breathe. It also means to defeat completely. When you talk about this, you talk about uh, overpowering in a staggering uh, way, and it's to defeat completely in a military sense. There is, a, uh, there is defeating another opposing force uh, to which the, the combat that you bring to them would cause them to look and see a hopeless case and to surrender. Uh, then there is overwhelming them, overwhelming them, meaning that they can't put up a fight. They can't even resist and they can't surrender fast enough. Uh, the, there's too much and too many uh, that it completely overwhelms and crushes the enemy. There's not anything that can be, do, be done to stop it. And we think about something that's irresistibly strong by definition. When I worked at a uh, Mueller valve company in Chattanooga, whenever I got out of the military, uh, one of the things that we did there is brought in scrap iron to be melted down to make the valves in by rail car. Uh, and so you would have huge pieces of iron there that, uh, that no way that a, a man could go and pick up and lift. But there was a crane with a massive magnet on it. And that magnet would swing out off the crane over the rail car. And when they flipped that magnet on, uh, that magnet was far superior to uh, the, the, any of the weight that would hold down the iron that was in the rail car. And it would just immediately pull up that iron. It was an irresistible force. It couldn't be hidden from. It couldn't be avoided. Uh, it was there and once it was on there was no getting away from it. That's to be overwhelmed. I, I think this morning that we could all relate to times when we felt emotionally as if we've been overwhelmed. Uh, you know at different stages of life that means different things. Uh, but you know, we can all look at our children and look at small children and you can see them easily overwhelmed by little small 
problems that are just as easily corrected uh, by just simply a comforting word or a pat on the head or uh, a, a quick hug uh, and to put them at ease and they're no longer overwhelmed. But when you get to your adult years and as you grow, those things that overwhelm us get greater. Uh, and those things that overwhelm us uh, truly overpower us. And so everyone has moments in life in which we become emotionally and spiritually overwhelmed. Uh, that we generally, uh, that's relegated to how do I cope with things? What's my coping mechanism? How do I uh, turn to? Who do I turn to uh, to deal with those issues? And truthfully, most of the things that we have to deal with in life, we just kind of take in stride. Uh, you know, I think the, the whole COVID virus uh, for most of us, most of the time, is something that we've just kind of taken in stride and we've made adjustments to our lives. There have been times, especially if you or your family have been impacted greatly by uh, by the virus and by its aftermath, uh, if it's cost you your job or if it's cost you a loved one or if it's uh, threatened the life of a loved one or uh, put you in, in wondering of how things were going to turn out, that certainly for that period of time within it, uh, gets a little bit more overwhelming or has the power, the ability to become uh, a little more overwhelming. But for the most part, we take things in stride. But then there are things that just overwhelm. The tragic loss unexpectedly of a loved one. Uh, sometimes even the anticipated loss of a loved one is overwhelming. And these things have this, the ability to rob from us our joy, to steal from us the power of God's working in our lives. It gets our focus only on that which destroys us or potentially uh, has the power to destroy us. David expressed his feelings of being overwhelmed in several of his psalms. And really, the word overwhelm or overwhelmed only appears uh, or appears mostly in the psalms in the scripture. Uh, David uses the word more often, more frequently than any other uh, writer in, uh, the, in the scripture. Uh, and so we're going to, Asaph uses it a couple of times, but we're going to really focus this morning uh, just by way of introducing the series uh, on what David has, deal, has dealt with and what he has uh, presented to us. For example, in Psalm 55 and verse number 5, uh, he is... Uh, given us these words, fearfulness and trembling are come upon me and horror hath overwhelmed me. Now really to get the full meaning of this, you need to go back and read the entire psalm. We don't have time uh, to do that this morning and I hope that you'll, uh, that you'll jot some of these references down and you'll take the time to go back and, uh, and to look about it. But David uh, is in a place where he's dealing with a lot of things in his life to the point that he is in fear and trembling and he's overwhelmed with horror. This has overwhelmed me, he said. In Psalm 102, uh, the entire psalm uh, is, doesn't use the word overwhelmed specifically, but the entire psalm is referred to as the prayer of the overwhelmed. And so it's someone who clearly is being overwhelmed by uh, some circumstances in his life uh, and he is praying to God for deliverance from that which is overwhelming him. He's afflicted uh, in Psalm 102 and he's making that prayer. In Psalm 142 in verse number 3 uh, he says, When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knowest my path. In the way wherein I walked, have they privately laid a snare for me. And so he's saying, listen, I, I'm, there's a trap set for me. And I'm in a place where I'm overwhelmed, God. But I know that you know where I am. I know that you know uh, what's before me. In Psalm 143 in verse number 4, he says, Therefore is my spirit overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is desolate. 
And so David is conveying to us this feeling of being overwhelmed, that my heart feels desolate, it's empty, it's alone, it's cut off from uh, that which is important to me. But you have to love Psalm 61 and verse 2. Because in Psalm 61 and verse 2, David really tells us the answer to the problem of being overwhelmed when he says, uh, From the end of the earth I will cry unto thee, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And when we're feeling overwhelmed this morning, and if you're not, praise the Lord for that, but rest assured that, and I'm not trying to be pessimistic this morning, but sooner or later you will, then the prayer is, God, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Jesus is that rock. God is that rock that is higher uh, than I. He is the one that has the power to overwhelm that which overwhelms me. And over the next few weeks, what we're going to see uh, is uh, several of these men of the Old Testament uh, who were at times overwhelmed in their lives and in their spirit uh, by circumstance, but they overcame. In every case this morning, the, uh, over these next five weeks, the people that we look at have overcome. Some of them, uh, you could even look and say, Pastor, there's really not much proof that they were overwhelmed. Well, but they faced overwhelming circumstances, and we'll see that uh, in some of their lives. And so when life is overwhelming, they were overwhelmed essentially by God. They just allowed their faith in God uh, to be what they were overwhelmed by. We're going to consider next week Joseph. Joseph had to deal with, and Joseph is probably the one that's the easiest to look at and say, uh, when, is, when was he ever overwhelmed? Well, Joseph was betrayed. He was, uh, he was betrayed by his family. He was betrayed by Potiphar. He was betrayed uh, by a man that he helped in the jail. Uh, at every step of his, of his life, from 17 to 30, he was betrayed. That's an overwhelming thing to have to cope with and deal with. It's an overwhelming uh, experience in life uh, to get past. Then the following week, we're going to uh, look at Moses. And Moses being oppressed and having to deal with, uh, with uh, the, the struggle between the palace and slavery and then being banished to the backside of the desert for 40 years and then having to come back and face all of those things and lead a people that really didn't want to be led, the pressure uh, and the constant oppression upon him personally uh, to the point at times where he just said, God, this people is too much for me. Uh, and and uh, truly, uh, that is something that is relatable to us in our circumstances or at times where we get to the place where we just say, God, this is more than I can bear. Then the following, we're going to look at David, who uh, had to face many overwhelming obstacles in his life. And quite honestly, some of them he, he dealt with tremendously, wonderfully. Others defeated him for a time. But he still overcame and became a man after God's own heart. When he was just a teenager, he had to face a lion, a bear. Uh, and not only that, but he had to go out in public and face down Goliath when all of the men of the nation wouldn't stand up and be men. He as a teenager had to go out and do it. Then he was banished from, uh, and, and, uh, from the palace and Saul sought his life for, and chased him across the countryside uh, because God uh, ch chose him when Saul had sinned, but David was behaving himself wisely, only to fall and stumble into sin later. 
and to have to cope with and deal with uh, the aftermath and the after effect of his sin in not fully forgiving Absalom and not dealing with Amnon and not uh, and his sin with Bathsheba in which uh, his counselor, her grandfather, sided with Absalom whenever he revolted and, and betrayed him and drove him out of the city and tried to take his throne. Th those are overwhelming circumstances and some of those circumstances were caused by sin. And the reality is, is that when we sin, if we don't do business with God and get it forgiven and get it rectified, it has the power to in turn become overwhelming in our lives. That's the way that sin works. At first, it's like that small wave that comes in and laps at your knee uh, that's not really that noticeable. And then it is that wave that comes in at about chest high and kind of pushes you back until finally the unsuspecting wave that sweeps you off your feet and tosses you wherever, wherever it will. That, that's what sin does to us. And that's what sin did to David. But he, but he overcame. And he found a solution. The following week we're going to look at Elijah and see how Elijah uh, was overwhelmed by fear. And that overwhelming, uh, overwhelming sense of fear led him to a deep depression that God restored him from. But ultimately all of them allowed God to overwhelm the things in their life that overwhelmed them. And all of it was an exercise in faith. And so this morning we're going to begin with Abraham. Because Abraham had an unwavering faith, a faith that was counted to him for righteousness. And so we begin with the solution to all of these problems, and that's uh, to let an overwhelming God uh, overwhelm that which overwhelms us through our faith. Listen, we can't even be saved without faith. We're saved by grace, but that, that grace is only made accessible to us through our faith. We know that faith comes by the Word of God and by hearing the Word of God and by learning the Word of God and putting our trust in the Word of God. Uh, and so when we lack faith, we can go to the Word of God and over time He'll give us more. Uh, but so we have to begin this morning understanding uh, with Abraham and his life how he displays to us this faith that allows God to work in our lives and overwhelm those things in our life that overwhelm us. Faith is given in just a quick definition this morning uh, in Hebrews chapter number 11 and verse 1. Hey, he says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So it's not something that's just out there that like, the world says, hey, you believe in God. There's no evidence of God. There's no, there's, there is massive amounts of evidence for God. They just don't, they just don't want to see it. It is not putting our faith and trust in something that there's no evidence of, though we cannot directly see him. Faith is the evidence of things, as the substance of things hoped for, and the evidence of things not seen. So we see evidence. Listen, there's evidence this morning that there's oxygen in the air. We're all breathing. We're not gasping. We're not dead. Uh, but we can't see it. We can feel it. We can sense it. But we can't see it. We, this is because we can't see God doesn't mean that there's no evidence of God. God is here. God is working. God is in our lives. And you could kind of condense the definition and say faith this way. It is the belief or the assent of the mind uh, that uh, the truth of what is declared by another. So it's when I look and I say God has declared this. And I have the belief and I give assent in my mind to the fact that this is what God has declared and I am resting on his authority and his power and his truthfulness to do what he says he will do without other evidence. I've come to the place where I just say faith is putting my belief in what God has said that he will do without, I don't, I don't need any other evidence other than God said that he would do it. 
I've seen enough, I've experienced enough, I've witnessed enough of his power, of his grace, of his moving and working in my life, in the lives of men, that I can just look and say, God, if this is what you've stated, then in your time and in your way and according to your plan, it will come to pass. I don't need any other proof. That's enough. That's faith. And so when I come to understand and realize that, I have the answer to get through life without ever succumbing to those feelings of emotional distress and being overwhelmed. And so we're going to start this morning with Abraham. And I start first of all by saying this in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed and he went out not knowing whether he went. Now, I want you to hold your place there. We're going to look back uh, and, and, or at least jot down some references in Genesis. We do not have time uh, to read this. this is a massive amount of scripture, and that's the way that this series is going to be. Uh, we're going to cover a, a lifetime in a Sunday, which isn't uh, aiming to do justice to the entire life, just to the concept of how did their faith help them uh, overcome uh, the things that overwhelmed them. Uh, but we see in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. Uh, and so God is showing him a land. God comes to him. And I would say this, first of all, that if I would have that kind of faith that can overwhelm those things in my life that overwhelm me, uh, that it starts uh, by a faith, with a faith that follows. I have to have a faith that's willing to follow God. I have to have a faith that's willing to follow his course of action, his plan for my life. I have to have a faith that's willing to follow the word of God. And we see there... Two primary thoughts. And the first thing that I would say is this, is that Abraham heard God's call. He heard the call. He was willing to hear. And if, listen, if we come in here every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, off times from revivals or uh, for Faith Bible Institute on a Monday, if you're enrolled in that, or for Reformers Unanimous on a Friday, if you're a part of that, uh, whenever you come, wherever you go, if we don't come ready to hear, we really aren't going to get much. We have to come with our heart and our mind ready to hear. Abraham was sitting out there doing his daily routine, going through the norms of his life, but he was willing to hear when God spoke to him. He was willing to receive it. He was ready to receive it. He was ready to open his heart and say, God, whatever it is that you have to say, I'm willing to hear it. You know, there's so many people that you interact with and your life is like, my, there are some people that I just already know uh, that if I have something that I need to talk to them about, it's just, it's, it's worthless. It's not even worth the time and the trouble to attempt it because they never even let me really ask the question. They, they already assume when I start, I get about three or four words in, they automatically assume that they know where I'm going and, and they just start answering what I haven't even asked yet. And it generally doesn't have anything to do with what I'm even talking about. I mean, what they're saying is, I know more than you do. Uh, I already know what, you've got nothing of value to say to me. I'm bothered that you're bringing this up. I, I'm, I'm just, just, you're too beneath me to hear what you've got. And what I'm saying this morning is, sometimes that's our attitude with God. Now we would never voice that, we would never say that to God. But what we say practically in essence is, God, I, I'm not, I, I, I'm not going to hear what comes from your pulpit. I don't need what comes from your pulpit. I don't need what I 
I already know when I read your word what it's going to say. I've already got all this figured out. I'm not, I'm not willing to hear. And listen, that, that's a big problem in people that have been engaged with the Lord in church for a lot of years. We don't mean for it to come out, and I'm making it really blunt so that we don't miss the point this morning. But the point is, is that it, I have to listen for God on purpose. It's an intentional. And Abraham, it's not like Abraham put his life on hold and said, okay, God, I'm just going to sit here until you talk to me. Although that's not a bad thing to do necessarily if you need to hear from God. But, but Abraham, in the midst of his life, was willing to keep his ear open for God. And when God spoke to him, he didn't say, you want me to do what? I, I, we would have. I mean, you really, you stop about it, Abraham. I want you to get up. I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave everything that you know. I want you to leave your comfort zone. I want you to leave your, uh, your, your herds and your, your employment. I want you to leave everything behind that, that you value with the exception of your wife and your nephew and what little things that you gather up. And I want you to go. And to top it off, he didn't even bother to tell him where he was going. He just said, I'll let you know when you get there. And when you get there, I'll give you something. I'll give you some land. I'll give you a new home. I'll, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. A lot of promises that honestly just did not make sense and do not make sense to the human mind. And Abraham said, hey, listen, God, I hear you. I wonder how many of us this morning have been gotten to a place where we would say, okay, God, I'm ready to hear you. I, <coughs> I'm longing to hear you. I, I'm looking to hear you. The second thing that we see about this, and we see it unfold in Genesis chapter 12 and verses 4 through 9, but we're not going to read all of them, but verse 4 says, So Abraham, Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was 70 and 5 years old when he departed out of Haran. 75 years old, and he's just off to the wilderness. And what we look at and what we see is a man that not only was willing to hear God's call, but a man who was willing to heed God's call. It's one thing to hear it. It's another thing to heed it. I wonder how many times we sit in a church service and we hear what's preached, we hear what's said, we hear the message, but putting it into practice is another story. And listen, I've really not done anything, accomplished anything in developing my faith, growing my faith, and furthering my walk with God and God's ability to use my life if I'm not willing to heed the call that he places on me. So, Pastor, you're called to preach. You're called to, listen, this is, this is applicable to every Christian. God has a plan for everyone's life. This is a matter of, do I hear what God has for me, and am I willing to do, to act upon what God speaks to me about? If God speaks to you about dealing with a sin in your life, if God speaks to you about, uh, about getting involved in, uh, in ministry, if God speaks to you about sharing your faith with a neighbor or with uh, a coworker, whatever it is that God speaks to me about, am I willing to heed the call? Am I willing to respond to that call? So faith and Abraham's faith is a faith that follows. Do you have a following faith this morning? Is your faith a faith that is looking to hear from God and then looking to put into practice that which God shows you and teaches you and demonstrates to you? Secondly, it was a faith that faces fears. Abraham had a faith that faced fears. When we look back in, uh, in our text in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 9 and 10, by faith he sojourned in the land of promise. That means he just, he just passed through. He lived there, but he didn't own anything. He had a tent. He had his herds. Uh, he was just 
wandering around. He was just a nomadic. Uh, they were nomadic people uh, because that's what God had uh, led them at this point in their lives uh, to do. Uh, and so uh, he's there. Uh, and is in a strange country dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city with, which hath foundation, whose builder and maker is God. So for three generations, they're just wandering. Living in a tent, hanging out, going from place to place, and having to cope and deal with everything that that entails. And so uh, they're, they're there. It's a faith that faced fears. What fears, Pastor? Well, first we see that Abraham faced an uncertain future. That, that's a frightening thing. And so uh, whenever you go somewhere and you're, you don't know what you're facing, uh, when a young man goes into the military and you've, you've not been experienced or been around that, that is an intimidating, uh, that those first weeks are an intimidating experience. Uh, when, you, uh, when you pack up and move away from all your family and come into a new community, that's, that is an overwhelming potentially experience. Some people are a little bit better wired for it than others, uh, but for some it can be very devastating and very overwhelming to have to pack up. And the fact is, is that Abraham faced an overwhelming uh, fear uh, of a, uh, the fear of an uncertain future. He didn't know, I know what God promised me, but I, I, when is he going to deliver it? Well, three generations later, he hasn't delivered it yet. It was going to be a lot longer than that. And so when we look and we consider uh, what's going on here, uh, he faced an uncertain future. Perhaps this morning you're facing an uncertain future. Um, some things we have figured out, some things we look to, some things we, uh, we have, uh, you know, kind of prepared for. Uh, but the reality is, is that whether we realize it or not, all of us to, some, to one degree or another face an uncertain future. None of us are going to live forever. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. None of us know what tomorrow is going to unfold for us. We face uncertain futures and we find a lot of security when we think that we know what the future holds. If we've got things figured out financially or if there's money in the bank to pay next month's bills or uh, if there's a retirement plan and if there's all of those types of things are things that give us great security but what about the people that don't have those things they understand things like this a little better people that have no way to pay to, to plan for those things or they barely get by or uh, they're they're you know going from payday to payday and uh, just just squeaking by and uh, taking care of things sometimes can understand this principle or this concept a little bit more but listen uh, all of our futures to a degree are uncertain but he also faced unpredictable adversity unpredictable adversity there are things in Abraham's life as he set out that I'm sure that he thought, you know, I'm going to face this. Uh, sometimes we may struggle to find food or water. Uh, we're going to have to kind of figure out how we're going to deal with this. But there were times when the, when the uncertainty that he faced and when the, uh, that was so, and the adversity that he faced was unpredictable. Now, we don't have time to uh, look at all of these passages, but I'm going to reference some chapters in Genesis dealing with Abraham's life. And I would say the first thing that we really see in Abraham's life that brought some real adversity to him, uh, that challenged this faith as he followed God, is found in, in Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 10, uh, whenever drought comes on the land. They're there, he's followed, he's been obedient, uh, and a drought comes. And when he's there and he comes into this place that God has sent him, and the drought comes, what does he do? He does what most people will do. He just keeps going until he gets to a place that's not affected by the drought. He's a nomadic person anyway. 
But the problem is, is that there's no place in Genesis chapter 12 where you see that he ever stops and asks God, God, do you want me to stop here and wait here? Are you going to provide for me in the drought or do you want me to keep going? He kept going. And so he keeps going and he's so concerned that his wife is so beautiful that someone's going to kill him and take her that he lies. What is he? Well, I would think that you could make a pretty strong argument here that Abraham uh, is a little bit overwhelmed by this circumstance. This is a real fear. It's a, it's a real fear and it's a deep-seated fear in his life because that same fear comes back again later. And he doesn't flee back into Egypt, but there's another, op another time when he's sojourning in a particular place and the men of the country, the king in particular, find her so beautiful and Abraham is making a league with them and he lies and says, uh, it's a half-life because she's a half-sister. This is my sister, though it's his wife. Uh, and, uh, and he's so afraid that he's overwhelmed and it compels him to sin. Rather than keeping his focus on God, he focused on the moment. He focused on the problem. Now, honestly, compared to most of our lives and most of, uh, most of the things that you see throughout the scripture and some of the other men that we're going to look at, Abraham's failures are, are pretty minor. But it's still, he's overwhelmed. He's, he's dealing with at least the magnitude. Maybe they seem minor because he handled them uh, well. When he was overwhelmed, it was short-lived. But he's, he's consumed with this thing. The second thing that I would say that was an unpredictable adversity in his life was found in Genesis chapter 16 when God has not given them this promised, this promised heir. God, we're getting old. I mean, we're already we're 75 when we got started. And it, it's, getting, it's getting late in life. And we're, we're going to be soon to the point where we physically cannot conceive a child. And so they take matters into their own hands. And Sarah gives Hagar, and Hagar conceives Ishmael, and uh, Ishmael's still causing problems. There's, there's a, a deep price to be paid when sin enters the equation and when God's plan is not followed. But he took matters into his own hands. Rather than waiting on God as he has so, uh, so beautifully done with most of these other areas of life, and he does get focused back on the right thing. It is a wonderful example to us. But he still has moments where he struggles with taking things into his own hands when God is not acting fast enough or quickly enough to suit him. The third disappointment or, or adversity that we see is that the disappointment and the conflict that he had to deal with in Genesis chapter 19 and, verse 20, and chapter 20 uh, when he had to deal uh, with Lot. And here they come in the conflict within their family units and their, uh, and their servants as they, as they clashed and fought over and squabbled over the land that they had. Uh, and Abraham goes to Lot and he said, this, this isn't a good thing. I don't want my, uh, my people to be fighting and squabbling with your people. Uh, we're here. The land's big enough for both of us. You choose what you want and I'll take what's left. The disappointment whenever Lot chose a hill overlooking Sodom. When he pitched his tent towards Sodom. The young man that he had invested in and tried to uh, lead to a deeper faith in God. And uh, who had, he had great influence. Lot followed him. 
But the disappointment to see Lot drawn into that culture and drawn into that city and his rise to prominence and somewhere along the way and all of that, he's, he's taken away and taken captive and Abraham has to go and fight to rescue him and to bring him back. Uh, the, the, the adversity of having to deal with the disappointment uh, of, uh, of, and the conflict of going through life and dealing with uh, different circumstances as they arise. The fourth uh, area of adversity that I think that we see is uh, his doubting the impossible in Genesis chapter 21. Now they're, he's pushing 100. And Jesus shows up and says, hey, it's, it's time. I'm going to give you that child. Sarah laughed. And then whenever she was confronted about it, I didn't laugh. No, you were laughing. You don't believe. But nine months from now, you're going to have a child. And she did. Now we know in Hebrews 11 that she, she judged God faithful. At, at some point after this, she, she did believe. But I think it's only, I don't think that there's anybody here that, that could say that if I was in their situation and their circumstance, even though God had promised that I wouldn't be at a place in my life where I was wondering, okay, God, I guess that you forgot about this one. But God doesn't forget about anything. And so they come and they look and they have to deal uh, with these unpredictable areas of adversity in their life. And his wavering faith overwhelmed him at times. And he took matters into his own hands. But God also protected him in his, in his weakness. He's still the greatest example of faith that we have in the scripture. He's referenced throughout the New Testament as well as the Old as the advocate of faith, as their example of faith. God protected him, even in his moments of weakness, because his, prior, his, his primary course was a life of faith. It was a faith that faced fears. It was a faith that followed. Thirdly, we see that it was a faith that was constantly forging new paths. A faith that was forging new paths. And Hebrews 11 and verse 10, For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker was God. He was always looking for what God had. He was always looking for God's direction. He was always looking uh, for what God would have in his life. And so what do we see? Two primary things about this forging of new paths. Number one, uh, and we see this really borne out in Genesis chapter 17, if you want to jot that down. But a, a new path forces you to new priorities. Abraham's life was a life of new priorities. Every time he moved, he had to formulate new priorities. When you move, you have to get new priorities. Uh, when you change from one community to another, from one state to another, uh, from one job to another, your priorities have to be adjusted to meet the, the, to meet the reality of the, of the challenges and the, and the pace and the place in which you relocate to. It's just normal. Someone who trusts Jesus as their Savior and they come into uh, a church family and they begin to get discipled and they begin to grow, what they're, what's going on is a massive change of their priorities. There are things that were very important before that are no longer important. Uh, there are things that, uh, that, that just that everything changes dramatically uh, when we are brought into fellowship with our Savior. And so it is a life with new priorities. And Abraham does that. Hey, listen, the priorities that he had uh, back in his, uh, in his homeland were completely different than his priorities here. What are his priorities? His priorities are no longer wrapped around right here and right now in this world. His priorities are on the next one. His priorities are eternal in perspective. 
He's looking for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He's not, listen, God, you, you said you were going to give me a land. You said that you were going to make me uh, a, a multitude, that you were going to make a great nation of me. Uh, and and you've, you've promised all these things, but he just pressed on and it didn't, his faith never wavered. He died in faith, Hebrews says in verse 13, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. But he was persuaded of them, that he was willing to live his entire lifetime knowing and realizing with every passing day that there are things that God promised that I will never see, but I trust that God is still going to bring it to pass. And I believe it so much that my entire life is going to be dedicated to living out what God has led me to do and how God has directed me, whether I ever personally see what God has done or not in this life. That's an incredible faith. That's an amazing statement uh, whenever uh, he puts it down there. They confess that they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth. This, this, and this doesn't matter. Now listen, I think it's, I think that it's foolish uh, for people to think, and I think it's unbiblical for people to think that living a faith life means living automatically an impoverished life. Okay, God, you bless me. I got to give everything away because I, I want to live by faith. That's tempting God. That's not faith. The Bible says that we are to plan for the future, that, it's, uh, that it is a, uh, an honorable thing and a good thing for us to leave an inheritance for our children. Those things are good. It's foolish not to do those things to the best of our ability as God blesses us. But it's just as foolish to be con so consumed with, with accumulating things and possessing things that we never pay or give any di diligence to God. The people that have no time for God, have no time for church, have no time because they're too busy uh, working two and three and four jobs to accumulate things or accumulate retirement or accumulate a bigger house or accumulate whatever. Those, that's detrimental. That is not the life that pleases and honors God. It is a life that's lived and consumed for self that has no vision of eternity. And listen, plan for the future. Plan for retirement. Uh, enjoy the fruit of your labors and the things that God gives, but don't crowd God out in pursuit of possessions and things. Live a life of faith, a life that God is honored and pleased by. Uh, and that's what Abraham is demonstrating here. Abraham was a wealthy man. Abraham was someone that God blessed to the point where uh, he had incredible and great wealth. He had uh, really a, a moving mobile empire uh, that God had, had granted to him and it caused him to constantly be shifting and realigning the priorities of his life uh, to accommodate the growing needs of his family and his herds and uh, his possessions. Not only did he have to forge new paths in his priorities, but he had to realize that, uh, that, that life was new with ever-changing relationships. Listen, when you are growing and working in the Lord, ever-changing relationships are what life is about. And by the way, that's what keeps a church, that's what keeps Christians focused. If, if we are a church that is just uh, the people that are here, uh, the people that have been here and our doors are not open to those uh, that are searching for truth on the outside. Uh, we just want the familiarity and the comfort. I'm glad that we're not that kind of a church. Uh, I probably wouldn't be here if we were. Uh, but if, if, uh, but you know, if we became that, uh, then what we would get is dull and stale. 
It is the fact that there's constantly people being reached with the gospel and new people that guests that come and visit the services and people to forge new relationships with. That it takes effort to forge new relationships. But that forging of new relationships forces us to grow. It forces us uh, to be challenged, to be discipling someone, to be sharing the gospel, to be training someone uh, what it's like to live for Christ and to serve the Lord and to love him and to demonstrate that in our own lives. That is a faith that is forging new paths. It is a life that is filled with new priorities and it is a life that has an ever-changing relationship and the most important relationship that should be ever-changing in our lives is our relationship with God. Pastor, I have a relationship with God and it's great. Well, if it stays where it's at, it will not stay great. It has to be continually growing. I have to be continually learning of Him and engaging with Him and investing time with Him and, uh, and developing my walk with Him. It is a faith that forges new paths. It is a faith that faces fears. It is a faith that follows God's command and hears his voice. And then lastly this morning we see focused faith. Is your faith this morning focused or is it scattered around all over the place? One minute you got faith and one minute you don't. One day you trust God, one day you don't. One minute you're uh, confident and the next minute you're doubting and, uh, and worrisome. It is a faith that is focused. In verses 13 through 19, again, he says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, if their focus had been on the past, if their focus had been on from where they came, if their focus had been on the priorities and the concerns uh, of the people in the world around them, they might have had opportunity to have returned. They would have gone back. They would have just gone back to the old way of life because that was easy. That was comfortable. That wasn't challenging. But now they desire a better country that is in heavenly Whereof God is not ashamed to be called their God. Can you imagine that? God not ashamed. Whew. To live a life that would cause God to look at you or to look at me and say, I'm not ashamed to be your God. And there's a lot of times when I would look and say, man, I, I hope that, you know, uh, the, that my wife's not ashamed to call me her husband. Or that my children aren't ashamed to call me their dad. Or that my grandchildren aren't ashamed to call me their grandfather. But to... But to you know, I, I could understand if, if God know me, if God looked and said, I'm ashamed to be called your God. But there, his testimony was that God was not ashamed to be called his God. I wonder this morning, is God ashamed to be your God? Am I living a life of faith? Is my faith such that God, is it so focused on him? Is it so focused on what he's given me to do? Is it so focused on what he's called me to that I'm locked in, that I'm zoned in on my own relationship and focus on him, a faith that is focused. Three thoughts on this and we'll be done this morning. It was a faith primarily that was focused on God. He was focused on God. He worshiped him. He built altars to him. He made sacrifice to him. He allowed God to, to test his faith and he never wavered through that. Isn't it an amazing thing that he finally gets the son that God has promised? He's, and God said, listen, Ishmael, I'm going to bless Ishmael, Abraham. I'm going to make a great nation out of him too, but he's not the one that I promised you. You got your hands in that. that that's not, that's not, that wasn't my plan. Isaac is the one. He's your only, he's the only one. He's the only one that matters according to my promise. Now this is what I want you to do. 
I want you to take him up Mount Moriah. I want you to build an altar. I want you to tie him up. I want you to slit his throat and offer him a sacrifice to me. I don't know anybody that would do that. I wouldn't do that. I mean, I like to think that anything that God asked me to do, that I would do. But if I had one son, I have four children, and I don't think I could do it. God, are you serious? Really? But Abraham did it. And he was thoughtful about it. I mean, he, even, he, he put the wood in order. He, he made sure that everything that was necessary was there. And he even had an answer for the questions that he anticipated that Isaac would ask. Hey, Dad, you know, uh, uh, where's the lamb? We're going to make a sacrifice. Uh, didn't we forget something? No, God will provide himself a land, son. God will take care of it. God will meet the need. He allowed God to test his faith and he wasn't bitter about it. He wasn't resentful about it. How many people do you know that God tested their faith with disease and they got bitter? God tested their faith with the loss of a job and they got bitter. God tested their faith with fill in the blank and it destroyed their faith. Not Abraham. How could your faith be tested more than that? And yet Abraham stayed focused on God. Abraham not only was focused on God, but he was focused on the destination. He had an eternal perspective. He looked at things and he saw them for their eternal value. How does this relationship that I'm entering in, how, what, does it have eternal value? Does this job that I'm taking put me in a position to increase my eternal value. I understand that most of us, are, or most people are going to be called and, and it's ordained of God that we work as, as secular jobs where we can be a light, a salt and light to the world around us. But do you approach your job, even if you're the only Christian there, with the attitude of how can I positively impact this for eternity? How do, those of you that go to a public school, can I go into that classroom where my faith will be challenged every day, where I could even be ridiculed by my teachers if I, if I take a biblical stance or, or believe in biblical truth? Uh, am, I going to, am I going to walk and stay focused on God well enough that I can stand up and let my, let my light shine uh, and let my faith stand strong even in the, in the midst of that uh, opposition and affliction? It was a faith that was focused on the destination. He had an eternal perspective. It is where and how and what I'm doing and how I live and what I live for going to impact my life for eternity. Thirdly, about a focused faith, I would say this, that faith, his faith was a faith that was focused on the plan, a plan to get there. Do you have a plan to get there? God has a plan for you to get there. If God's given us something to do and he has and I'm focused on God, then I can rest assured that God has a plan to get me there. I need to stay focused on the plan. Don't get sidetracked with problems. Don't get sidetracked with things and get overwhelmed by things that, uh, that are just a distraction from being focused on God. Stay focused on God. There, that, that wave's not big enough uh, to, uh, to take God down. There's not anything that's big enough to shake his world. There's not anything that's big enough to take his attention off of me and you. That's how much he cares for us. That's how much he loves us. It is a faith that was focused on the plan to get there. Pastor, what's the plan? Well, the plan's in his word. And the plan's the Holy Spirit leading and guiding. 
And the plan a lot of times is provided uh, to a lot of things in the Christian life. The plan is provided through the church that God leads you to. It is a faith that's focused. It is a faith that is forging new paths. It is a faith that is facing fears and it is a faith that is following God when God calls. I can close this morning by saying this and one more verse this morning before we give the invitation. Abraham was overwhelmed by God and God overwhelmed everything else in Abraham's life. I can be overwhelmed by things or I can be overwhelmed by God. Abraham chose to be overwhelmed by God. Romans chapter 4 and verse 3 puts it this way. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. His faith. Faith overcomes. Faith is the victory. When we sing the song, faith is the victory that overcomes the world, that overcomes circumstance, that overcomes the adversary, the devil, that overcomes everything that life can throw at you, the victory, the answer is faith. Will you this morning be overwhelmed by your life, by your circumstance, or will you be overwhelmed by God?